Okay, 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 okay. This is one of those I don't have enough time shows. Ah, there's so much paper in here. Ah, just sick of fucking paper. Uh, so we're just gonna have to get to it. We've got a lot of segments. Every time I put this microphone on, the amount of saliva in my mouth quadruples from what it is on a regular basis. And I know I'm spitty when I talk, but for whatever reason, it's like I sit here and it's like, cripes. So one of the segments is from me and we're gonna listen to it right now. Okay, so I just uh, had a weird mailman type happening. Um, it was about 10.45 a.m. in a very, very suburban area. And for whatever reason, uh, there was a rather tall, gangly, well, let's not say gangly. I mean, that's not really necessary. She was quite thin. She had pink hair and a neon green, what would you call it? I guess it's kind of like a tank top on top, but uh, shorts on the bottom, really short shorts, like right under the ass cheek, short shorts. But it was like a one piece, like a unitard, I guess, or something like that. And uh, so I'm just minding my own business, doing my own shit. And right out of a 1997 rave, saunters this 5'10", 112-pound, pink-haired, green, leotarded woman. And on her feet are six-inch black heels. But, like, they weren't, like, heels. They were, like, one entire piece. Like, it was all flat on the bottom. Like, seriously, like a 1997 rave. And she had garters on each side of her thighs... And she's, like, walking around, like, she couldn't walk in the shoes, because who the fuck can, but she was, like, walking around like one of those white walkers from from Game of Thrones, like, kind of, like, dun, 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 dun. like how, the, how the hell did she walk in those shoes? I don't know. And uh, my favorite part, like, I don't know what she was doing or where she was going, if she was stripping or what, but my favorite part is she's crossing paths with this Muslim woman, <laughs> like the headscarf and everything, and they're crossing paths, and once the pink-haired freak show gets by the Muslim woman, her head whipped around so fast, I thought it was going to fucking fly off like a top. It, it was amazing. And she's just, like, looking at her up and down and up and down and up and down. Like, what the hell? Because could you imagine being a Muslim woman all demure and everything, and you see this fucking half-naked weirdo rocking around? Like, okay, maybe, maybe if it was at night... Maybe if you were going to a bar, I would understand. But she wasn't. Oh, my God. What if that was the ultimate walk of shame? That makes total sense. 10.45 a.m., dressed like you're going to a nightclub, walking like you just got fucked real hard. Oh, my God. Why didn't I think of that before? I'm a fucking genius. There. Mystery solved. Walk of shame. Hmm. Okay. Like, what kind of asshole do you have to be to... Pick up a woman, pretty sure it was a woman, kind of gangly, but anyway, pick up a woman at a bar. You're with her, obviously, because she looks a bit like a freak. And, you know, take her home, you have her your way with her, you let her sleep over. I don't think you're cooking her breakfast, because I'm pretty sure she had some kind of eating disorder. And then, and then what? You say, uh, there's a bus stop outside, sweetie. Like, she obviously didn't bring a change of clothes. I mean, quite obviously. I, I can't imagine this being the look she's going for at 10.45 in the morning. I don't get it. So whoever pumped and dumped there was a real, real fucking prize. Real fucking prize. Man alive. Okay. So there's that. That was exciting. That was really fun. 
I loved watching that Muslim woman. She just like, I thought she was going to pop that scarf right off her fucking head. She just whipped around so fast looking at the freak show. And I was like, <laughs> like uncontrollable after watching that. <laughs> that was good times. All right. Next we have uh, Rose. It's a very short one. I haven't heard it yet. So let's listen to it. Hey, everybody, this is Rose, and I'm broadcasting to you from the forest around Trillium Lake, and it's my birthday today. I'm 51, and um, I don't know, I'll probably do another segment later, but I just thought I'd go ahead and do this one right now while I'm looking at trees and dragonflies, and my friends are in the lake floating on logs and tree stumps. Of course they are, but not me. I like to be on the land, so I'm walking the trails. All right, goodbye. I enjoy the land as well, Rose. I enjoy the land as well. Funny story. Um, just, let's just call this a life lesson. When you can't swim and you go into the ocean with a group of giants, all six feet and above. Okay, how do I even put this? I just, I, I'm, I'm trying to make sure that I don't give my kid as many fear-based complexes and adverse reactions as I have. Because fear was drilled into me at a very young age. I was to be afraid of everything. Just terrible. But uh, in a way, like Mark Maron was just talking about this on his show. And I'm no Mark Maron. But I do like his words. I like what he said. Because it kind of, um, I was thinking this before, but he said it. So now I have to pretend like he came up with it before I thought of it. But I feel like I thought of it as well also. Anyway, I'm no Mark Maron. But in a way, as I'm parenting Malcolm, I feel like I'm kind of like reliving my youth and kind of parenting myself as I go. And Mark Maron was talking about self-parenting. So I kind of feel like I'm rebuilding my own craziness while I'm trying to make sure that he doesn't turn out crazy. Now, having said that, the reason I said that is because I don't want Malcolm to be as afraid of everything as I am. So I figured, let's go in the ocean. Because he had been in the ocean with his grandma and grandpa and Sarah several times and I hadn't gone in yet. So I thought I'm going to do this. I'm going to show him I'm not afraid. It's totally cool. And he's in like, a, basically we've put him on a styrofoam peanut. He's got like a chest foamy thing, an arm foamy thing. So he's just bobbing around, just floating around, you know, basically swimming to, from one person to the next. He's not going to sink. He's cool. And then he got so excited when I was going to come in. Oh, mama's coming. Mama's coming. Yay. Mama's coming. And then I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll come. And then I'm like strutting in in my Amish shirt, my really long sleeved, uh, SPF protecting fat girl attire. So I'm going in and then I'm like, okay, this isn't so bad. This isn't so bad. And I'm walking in with Sarah. She's kind of like staying beside me, making sure I'm feeling comfortable because I can't swim. I can't fucking swim. Anybody who says fat floats, fat don't. Okay. Fuck off. It's not true. So I'm walking and the, um, Sarah's parents are standing and I'm trying to walk to where they're standing, except it didn't occur to me that they're both over six feet. So uh, I kind of freaked out because as I approached where they were standing, there was no ground left. It just sunk. It was, I couldn't touch the ground. Uh, I was in up to about my chin and I started freaking out. I was like, okay, okay, uh, I'm panicking. I'm panicking. I can't touch the ground. I'm going to take you down. I'm going to take you down and I'm going to float on your dead corpse, Sarah. I'm going to take you down. And I started kind of like uh, really freaking out and I'm like grabbing onto her shoulder. She's like, it's okay. You're going to be fine. I'm like, no, no, I'm going to push you underwater and I'm going to, I'm going to float to shore on your dead corpse. It's going to fucking happen. She's like, no. <laughs> I was like, yeah, this is so fun. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to fucking kill you. Can you get me? Can you get me back onto the sand? So she kind of like grabbed me by the back of the head and yanked me back to, to closer to the shore. And uh, everyone was laughing because it's so funny. Isn't it funny? And my kid's freaking out. He's like, oh, no, mama can't swim. 
mama can't swim. And he was like freaking out. Cause like, I'm like trying to like smile, but it's probably one of those really scary f- smiles where like your teeth are grit and you're like, ha, 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 we're going to be okay. It's going to be fine. And really I'm fucking freaking the fuck out. And panicked Sanchez is hilarious. Like when, when I'm fearing for my life, that is what I'm at my funniest. Cause I'm going to die of embarrassment someday. Like I was really, really scared cause I can't swim and I couldn't touch the ground and I was starting to freak the fuck out. But I was smiling. I'm like, don't worry, Malcolm. I'm smiling. And then a huge wave comes and it like spins me around. And all of a sudden I'm like facing the shoreline and I'm in a seated position. And I don't know how it happened. And I couldn't get out of there fucking fast enough. And Malcolm's like, are you okay, mama? Mama can't swim. And I was like, don't worry about it. I'm fine. I'm smiling. I'm waving. And then I'm like, I'm never fucking going into an ocean again for the rest of my life. It's never going to fucking happen. It's like, you know, I I just... Have an adventure, you know? Try something out. Face your fears. Suck a dick. Hey, Sandra, it's Kendra. Um, I've got another segment here for Adventures in Adopting. Um, All right, so I left off with the restructuring and such going on. Um, What happened next was uh, after everything was approved and we decided, yes, the agency was going to go on, uh, we had to pay our $4,000, which was the restructuring fee. Um, basically, if you wanted to continue, you had the choice. Um, you wouldn't get any money back if you didn't continue. If you wanted to keep going, it was another $4,000 on top of all of the other fees we already had to pay for. So, um, paid that. Uh, also had a job transfer come up um, where I could move back to my hometown. Um, didn't really want to move back to my hometown. The only benefit to this was that if I did adopt a child and the child came home, I would have family. My parents lived in town and I would have family to help. Um, And being I was still very worried about uh, eight-hour temper tantrums and stuff, having somebody close by was probably a good thing both for me and this child. Um, The other thing that happens when you're kind of in the uh, adoption limbo and waiting and you don't know when it's going to happen and you don't know if if it's going to happen and you don't like the rules change and paperwork changes on a daily basis. Um, You sit at home a lot and you drink and eat. Um, So during the next little while, I also managed to gain 50 pounds and stretch marks without ever having to carry a child it was fantastic. So still working that weight off. Um, but yeah, turns out you don't actually have to carry the child to have all of the other symptoms. Um, my, uh, after the home study and all of that, um, came back from the agency with approval or back from the ministry with approval, um, it finally got sent to Ethiopia in November of 2009. So that meant that that was, I was officially expecting at that point. Um, during the next little while, well, year anyways, um, other than moving, um, we did start to get some referrals in. It was great. We also got numbers. So we were put on a list um, of number of families and then you know, like some families were waiting for siblings and some families wanted just a girl or some families wanted just a boy or some families wanted either. So, um, but we were giving a list from start to finish um, of the families. My number was 219 from the families that continued. I think there was only 240. So I was at the bottom of the list. Um, I'm probably going to be one of the last ones to get a referral, especially since I was only approved for a child up to 16 months um, of either gender. Um... 
so yeah, that kind of uh, deflated me a bit. But when we started getting referrals in again, it was a huge relief um, that things were back were back happening again. Um, eventually, the agency we had some problems there. Um, we couldn't keep the money up, and we needed somebody to take it over. So the ministry found another agency to take us over that was willing to kind of run our agency with our license. Um, this was great. We were able to still keep going. Um, maybe not an agency I would have picked. Uh, the agency is a very religious agency, um, run out of the Christian college in Toronto and, uh, run by a reverend. So got a little nervous with that one too. Um, I don't know. We'd already had one lady that was running the agency and kind of hid behind the cross and had gone on to whatever that is, Huntley Street show and better than that when she basically stole all our money. So I didn't have much faith in the reverend. Um, also, because I moved, I had to redo my home study, um, have a social worker back in my house to see my new house. Um, that costs several hundred dollars to get that part redone, have everything notarized, sent back to Ethiopia. Um, in April of 2011, um, I had to redo it all again because it had been two years since my home study was completed. And of course it was out of date. So um, again, I had to go get fingerprinted and medical checked and police checked and the social worker had to come. Um, and at this point, I actually changed my age change as well. Um, I knew that it was gonna take forever for me to get a young child. And I'm really, young kids, I mean, I like them, but I don't really know what to do with them. Um, so I talked to some people who had actually brought home older children and they did have some horror stories. They had eight hour time, temper tantrums. They had, you know, these kids have a past, they have trauma, they have memories, they have all of that stuff. But I decided to change it. So I changed it up to four years old. Um, it was gonna speed up my referral process, hopefully. and. Uh, you know, hopefully I'd get a child that was a little bit older. Uh, I could do more things with when I was off on parental leave than a baby um, and that kind of stuff. So that's where that went. And um, I will continue at another time. All right. Thanks. Bye. You know, I'm sitting on the next, uh, the next segment from Kendra and uh, I'm hoarding it. I'm saving it. Yeah, I could. I could let you listen to it right now, but I won't. I can, but I won't because I'm saving it. What do you think about that? Yeah. Creative control, people. I've got it. I'm not uh, ever giving it up. Stretch marks, man. I'm sorry you got stressed out. I feel you. Because you know what? In a sense, you did get pregnant. You gained 50 pounds. You got stretch marks and uh, you're still working it off. Solidarity, my sister. You're a mother through and through. You went through all this strife, except your labor lasted years, apparently. Holy Christ. God bless you. God bless you. I didn't have my kid. You want another kid? He's scared of thunder. Mama, mommy, there's thunder. There was a huge thunderstorm last night. He woke up like three times. Fuck you, Jesus. You fucking thunder. All right, what else do we have to talk about here? Oh, okay, more, just a few more Mexico things. I've got, I've got a few more Mexico things here. One of them... All right, uh, how do I put this? If you were in your 20s, in the 90s, maybe early 2000s, 
you may or may not be the victim of a tramp stamp. Okay, you know, I understand. I get, I get it. Why you'd get one. It's fashionable, you know, it, uh, it's in a great place because it doesn't really matter if you get fat or not. It's right in the small of your back. Um, I understand that. I totally sympathize. I mean, things, things went wrong, right? Things, uh, things shifted. It became a joke pretty damn fast. It was called a tramp stamp instead of a lower back tattoo. And now you're mocked mercilessly. And in Mexico, you know, people are in, well, other people, people other than me who, you know, I'm in my Amish attire, uh, were in bikinis and, uh, there were, there were a lot of tramp stamps. Uh, some of them, some of them nicer than others. A lot of tribal ones, and uh, a lot of women there with their teenage daughters. And uh, my favorite, my favorite one on a woman. That's right, because there were male tramp stamps as well. I don't know what the fuck men are thinking. I never do, but especially in this situation, I don't get it. Uh, my favorite one, because there was the tribal ones, you know, with like barbed wire or not barbed wire, but like the tribal, you know, they kind of are pointy and shit and. There was all kinds of stuff. And Sugar Sugar and I had a big discussion on Return to Sender about whether or not her yellow submarine tramp stamp was in fact a tramp stamp. And we argued about it. We did a fake little case, like a fake little uh, courtroom like trial thing. And I think I came out on top on that one. Because the argument was made, is it a tramp stamp if it has emotional meaning? And I don't think it's what comprises the trap stamp like I don't think it's what the tattoo is of I mean I could have my son's name tattooed on my lower back it's it's the location as far as I'm concerned you know you, it could be meaningful or not the point is the location and how I won that court case was I said has there ever been human semen on your tattoo and she said yes and I said I rest my case I rest my case because that's what it's all about is has there, has there been jizz on it? Is Has it been ejaculated upon? And if it has, chances are, tramp stamp. Anyway, that was my favorite. My favorite one, actually, the female one, I should have said, it It said vixen, and then it had a pentagram. Pentagon? Pentagram. The star that's like the Jewish star, but with a circle around it, you know what I mean? Vixen, yeah. Yeah, you bend down and pick up your six-year-old child with that raging disgusting pile of filth on your lower back and when i saw it i, I felt shame not necessarily for the mother because she had her fun with it but for the children won't someone please think of the children jesus all right there, there's there's some news in winnipeg going on right now uh there's a few things i wanted to talk about one of them being uh it's just recent here let me pull it up here okay for whatever reason actually i know the reason it's that um, no one cares if Native women go missing because, I don't know, I guess the general consensus is they asked for it. If you're a racist asshole, that's what, generally speaking, people think. Ah, she was a prostitute. Eh, yeah, she's still a fucking human being, asshole. So no one ever, there are so many cases of, of Aboriginal women going missing and nobody gives a shit. But this article uh, really piqued my interest because, let's look at it. Uh, so this poor young woman, her last name was Fontaine. Police said Fontaine was wrapped, was found wrapped in a bag in a quote unquote condition she couldn't have put herself in. Okay, hold the fucking phone here. Hang on. Hang on, everybody. So the Winnipeg police have deduced 
that she was found in a plastic bag and she couldn't have put herself in that condition. So you're telling me that no one in their right fucking mind would put themselves in a, in a plastic bag and then throw themselves in a river? Mm. That is some excellent police work there. Way to go, Gomer. Good fucking job. I'm really impressed with you. Okay, so next up, let's hear from Gary. Yes, it is Tuesday, and we know what that sound is. I fucking love that rum and coke Tuesday is becoming a thing. Maybe not the best thing that we're all drinking, but hey, seems to be working. Hey, Sandra, it's Electric Gary. Welcome back from Mexico. I can't wait to hear all about it, as everyone has already probably as we're going along here. Uh, the getting away that you're doing has made Mrs. Electric and I think we need to do some getting away too, and it's too fucking hot here. And things are just grinding me up with too much work and too much shit. And we weren't going to wait till December and to have a staycation, which we will do. Uh, one quick sec. Uh, sorry for slipping in your ear. And uh, we thought December's too far away. So we're going to come see you. Not you specifically. You don't have to panic. I'm not going to track you down yet. Could happen at some point. But we are going to come to the Great White North. Actually, probably the, more the Green West portion of the Great White North. And uh, we decided to go to Victoria and hang out for a week. We've never been there. Everybody says it's beautiful, so away we go. We're going to hop on a, a ferry, and uh, the kind that puts cars, not, not the other kind, and uh, take a couple-hour ride and be there and hang out for a week, and it'll, uh, it'll be a good time. So we're looking forward to that. Uh, I love uh, the Terrells uh, giving us his play-by-play -play on uh, past breast play. Uh, what a Viking. I, I appreciate a man who, who gets in there and uh, keeps keeps going. You know, I've always felt that if a woman is generous enough to share her body with me in any way, that I will overlook any imperfections and enjoy what, what she's provided me with. Um, hairy nipples, um, no big deal. He's, uh, I was glad that he was able to move past that. But I'm sorry to say the inverted nipple story with the uh, squirting in the mouth, even now, makes me want to barf. I, I don't know. I, I, I salute you, sir. We're continuing. And I think you, you did the right thing there. Um, so I'm done with shows for now, done with the theater. Thank Christ. It was fun. We had a great time. We had a, a bunch of people and shows and, uh, and people enjoyed it. Uh, the, the final performance was in the park. And we started at 10 a.m. hoping to avoid the heat. But by 11 o'clock, it was fucking brutal and I was wearing skin tight black leather pants and uh, my balls might never be the same uh, something you don't need to know again and I will take another drink so I don't know I don't think I had a whole lot else to say other than that but I did want to uh, congratulate Daryl as for sharing and keep it coming and uh, welcome home we will see you at some point oh shit I'm slurring already <laughs> keep it coming I love, I love Drunk Electric Gary. I love it. I love it. I totally did panic. I thought you were coming to Winnipeg and then I'd have to shoot myself because I'm mortified. Because like, how do you look people in the face that have heard every disgusting, horrible thought uh, like that I've spoken out loud? I've, I've said some really awful things and whether he remembers it or not, Gary knows every fucking word I've ever said. 
and Jolene. Jolene went back and listened. Fuck, I don't know. Was she on her third round before that show ended? Maybe. Yeah, I did panic. I do like you drunk. I think everyone should drink. I think drinking and podcasting go hand in hand. But drinking and hanging out with your in-laws and your, your brother-in-law does not go hand in hand. Um, I don't know how much I want to get into it right now. But, uh, okay, I'll tell you what I feel comfortable saying. Because you know what? I found that when you say something out loud, it just removes all the shame. Like not all the shame. Not even really half the shame. But some of it. It makes it less embarrassing when you tell it to a lot of people. Feels right. So let's talk. Uh, Sarah's brother got married. We were in Mexico after the wedding as some type of celebration. I don't really know why. I just enjoyed the alcohol. And I hoarded the alcohol. I got some sound advice from a Ukrainian gentleman that I work with. And he said, if you're going all inclusive and they have uh, in suite mini bar, which they did, he's like, take all the alcohol, put it somewhere else, and they'll keep refilling it. And then you can just take that alcohol home. And I did. And that leads to a whole nother problem as far as customs goes. Way later. Way later. Way later. I almost got slapped in the face. Way later. Uh, so I, I don't I don't often drink to excess anymore because I don't like myself when I'm drinking. Like, I think I can have two beers and I call my third beer the know-it-all beer. And uh, yeah, I, I think I had seven drinks that night. And uh, yeah, so how it started was we went to our own, we had our own little bar because we were in like, like seriously a five-star hotel. And then we got like, the, we went into the preferred section because Sarah's parents are very generous and very kind. So it's like a smarter, smaller part of the hotel. You get your own private bar, all inclusive. So I went there and this bartender, uh, I think was actually putting real alcohol in things instead of the turpentine they were putting in by the swimming pool. I feel like the drinks there were, I, I think I was drinking rubbing alcohol. That's my theory. And and dog piss. I think carbonated dog piss and rubbing alcohol is what I was drinking down there. So I actually got some real alcohol at the preferred club bar is my theory. And I liked it. I'm not going to lie. Okay. So I took my fancy uh, drink and we all head downstairs for supper. It's Sarah's uh, dad's birthday. And we're going to a restaurant and we're chatting. And Sarah's brother is, he's got a reputation. He, he's been known to raz grown men until they fucking cry. So I've been afraid of him and I'm not going to lie about it. I've been afraid because, you know, everybody kind of feels insecure and a little bit stupid around guys like that because they can tear you down in like two seconds and I'm fat and ugly. So yeah, I felt nervous around him and I have ever since, but he was just, he's always been really nice to me though. Like the first time I went for Christmas dinner, he always made sure I had a beer and he was like, you know, don't worry about it. Just just chill out. It's not a big deal. My parents are super chilled out, like giving me advice, just being generally a nice guy. And, uh, yeah. So we're at dinner. Oh no, I shouldn't say that. Actually we were in the bar and I'm, I have my drink. It looks like dishwater and it's full of fucking like three different kinds of alcohol. I think there was like three ounces of booze in there and I'm sitting beside him and I'm starting to feel pretty good about myself. And I looked at him and I put my hand on his knee and I'm like, this is going to get weird. This is going to get really weird. And he looks at me kind of like, what the fuck? And then he started laughing. And I was like, yeah, it's going to get really weird. And it did because he put his hand on my knee and then he rubbed it a little bit. And I was like, yeah, okay, you win. Yeah, no. Yeah. I don't know why I even tried uh, this. Yeah, you win. This is too weird. And then he like shook my hand and he did that thing. I don't know if you know this, but like if you shake someone's hand and you rub your index finger on their palm in Italy, I, my parents are from a backwards town of like 2000 some odd people. And, uh, 
there if the secret code word, I don't know what he, what my brother-in-law meant it to be, but what it means in Italy is if you do that to someone, you, you shake hands and then they, you kind of scratch their palm. It means let's go make out. And if they scratch back, you're golden. Probably you're going to get a Hummer in an olive grove somewhere. Your garlicky ass is getting blown. Uh, so that's where that went. And then we get down to the restaurant and, uh, I'm, I'm feeling really kind of drunk. Okay. And then Sarah's brother orders a round of tequila, you know, just for him and I, and, uh, I, I drink it. I drink it all. I drink probably an ounce and a half of tequila. And then I proceeded to order another one. And then I drink my beer and then I ordered another round of tequila. Cause, uh, I don't know who I think I am at this point, perhaps, I'm trying out my new identity of being the strong, silent type and, you know, just drinking my face off, except I'm not silent. I am the exact opposite of silent. I am overly talkative. I, I, yeah, I, I shouldn't talk. I shouldn't drink and I shouldn't talk. Not around my in-laws because I made a total asshole of myself. Like I, I let it all out. I was who I am on this show in real life. And usually I am who I am on this show, but not in front of them. And I'm drinking and drinking. And then we started talking. And uh, I think it, that was the most I've ever engaged with Sarah's dad. That is the most I've ever heard him talk, ever. Like, he's usually a man of few words. But when he's got something to say, he will he will say it, you know? Like, he's pretty funny when he actually says something. But he doesn't say much, ever. Not often, anyway. And, uh, you know, we were laughing. We were engaging. And then I kept jokingly hitting on um, Sarah's brother, like, over, over being over complimentary and it's like you know I was just joking because it would be like so ridiculous right it's just so ridiculous and I thought I was really funny and then uh I think I think where things started to turn from playful and jokey uh to you need to stop drinking was when I said to him I wish I knew how to quit you and everyone laughed and I thought I was so funny and I kept drinking and you know there's subtleties going on I think I got the uh finger to the throat thing, like the shut the fuck up now thing from Sarah, I think three times. I choose to ignore it and drink more. And yeah, so things kind of proceeded. I made jokes about harvesting his semen in front of her parents. Uh, I just, uh, yeah, you know? And then after that, after I thoroughly embarrassed myself, keep in mind my kid's there and I'm fucking hammered, acting like an asshole. What a fucking tool. And uh, yeah, so I can't really remember what else was said there. And then we moved to another area, another bar. Sarah put Malcolm to bed and I decided, yeah, let's go drink some more. I'm super cool. Look how cool I am. I can hang with these people that, you know, have social lives and don't just talk about kids. Yeah, no, I can't. I can't. We went and we sat. Beautiful ambiance. And uh, I just, I had mom diarrhea. I just kept talking about Malcolm all the time and mom stuff and my labor story. And it's like, you know, I woke up at three in the morning to vomit. And uh, that's when you really start questioning your life, you know, and your life choices. I made an asshole of myself. I vomited. I had um, a massive, massive headache and uh, shame. I was so thoroughly ashamed of my behavior. I just, I kept having flashbacks to stupid things. I'd say, I can't remember them now, but at three o'clock in the morning after I had just vomited, like, I think I muttered about never drinking again for, I think I just stopped. I think I just stopped a few days ago, but I'm, I, I just don't like myself when I drink too much. I think I'm just going to stick to two drinks and that's it. Cause less is more when it comes to me. I just, I act like a total asshole. 
at least let's say, okay, let's say two drink maximum in front of my in-laws, but honestly, I don't think I'm going to drink in front of them for a very long time. I just woke up so fucking mortified. And of course, Monday is the, Sunday I get trashed and Monday we have to travel. So we get up, we have breakfast, one last shot at the ocean, not for me. And then Sarah's brother and his new wife come downstairs. I'm like, are you okay? And I was like, man, that was, that was bad. That was real bad. And they're like, oh, don't worry about it. I'm like, I haven't drank like that in years. I'm really super embarrassed. I'm so sorry. Oh, no big deal. And then, you know, his new wife tells me stories about how she's passed out in like public bathrooms and stuff. And I'm like, well, that's great for you. But uh, I'm an adult. Like I'm a mom now. I, uh, I, I, I threw up because I drank too much at three in the morning. And while I was staring in the toilet at, uh, the contents of my stomach, I really questioned my life choices. I really, I really made some poor life choices, but it gets better. It gets better because Monday's travel day and we have to fly through Chicago. So we get on the plane from Puerto Vallarta to Chicago without incident. We get to Chicago and it turns out that, uh, the flight's delayed. Yeah, it's really delayed. First, it was delayed an hour, and then it was delayed another hour, and then another hour. And Malcolm starts fucking screaming this high pitched, ear shattering scream because he's overtired. He's exhausted. And before we left on a lark, you know, Sarah said, Well, I'll just get some gravel just in case, you know, he might have, might get air sick. We might have to use it. We may need to drug him to sleep. And I looked at her and I said, I will not under any circumstance drug my child to make things more convenient for me. Yeah. Turns out, uh, there, there is a circumstance where I will drug my child. And that circumstance is being delayed in the Chicago airport for three hours while my son proceeds to make this noise in a really echoey bathroom for about 25 minutes. Then we leave the bathroom and he does that noise for another half hour. And then I'm like, we're dragging this son of a bitch and we're doing it now. We're doing it right fucking now. So we did. And he ran around for like half an hour and then zonk out. And while I'm walking him up and down the airport hallways, trying to wear him out until he finally fucking go to sleep, I see Kevin McDonald. Do you guys know who Kevin McDonald is? He's the guy from the kids in the hall. You familiar? The kind of curly haired one. He played the devil a lot. He's just walking around the fucking Chicago airport. And I turned around and I rubbernecked and I'm like, holy fuck, that was fucking Kevin McDonald. And I told Sarah and she's like, where? And I said, right there in the blue shirt. Oh, that is Kevin McDonald because he lives in Winnipeg too. So he's getting super, super stressed out and it's really funny to watch him because he looks like a character he would play. He's kind of really nerdy. He's probably a little bit shorter than me, like a little bit, maybe the same height, but he's a man, you know, like he should be tall, but he's not and that's okay. So he just kind of would like look at the, cause like the times would, would keep changing as to when the flight would leave. And he'd kind of like look squint and like look at the screen and scrunch up his face. And I just couldn't stop staring at him. And I felt kind of bad about it cause I'm staring at him. I'm, I'm like, okay, no one, no one is approaching him. Does no one know that this is Kevin McDonald? And I looked around and either people were like in their fifties or they were like teenagers in the area. And I thought, okay, I must be the only one who realizes that this is Kevin McDonald. I just... He looked so panicked and like stressed out. I just, I just, I wanted to hold him. I wanted to go to him and say, Kevin, sweetheart, baby, it's going to be okay. Come here. No, no, come here. Jump into my gangly arms here. My ridiculously long arms. I'm going to hold you and it's going to be okay, my love. It's going to be okay. 
And then they canceled all the flights to Ottawa. Hee 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 hee. It's not looking good for us. And then I'm like, well, they're going to have to give us some place to stay, to stay, right? And the reason they were canceling everything is because there was lightning storms. And every time they can't have any lightning within 10 miles of the runway. Absolutely no plane can be on the runway if there's lightning within 10 miles. And there was. And it was just storm after storm after storm after storm. And they keep delaying and delaying. And then they canceled all the flights to Ottawa. Three planefuls of people got canceled. They had to go find somewhere to stay because they weren't going home that night. And I was like, oh, fuck. Because, you know, I didn't sleep, really. And uh, I was pretty goddamn exhausted because of my, you know, my alcoholism. And, uh, yeah. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to go get a coffee. So I stand, I, I don't, I don't understand how things work in the States. Because I went to McDonald's because it was the closest. And there's three tills. And I thought, okay, so in Canada, you would pick a till and line up at it. But they had a whole nother program there. It was like the bank where there was just one line and they would call you to come up to the till, which it, I don't know why. I think it was because I was either exhausted or still drunk from the night before. I could not grasp this concept. I don't know why. Because I went there once to get fries for Malcolm because it's the only fucking thing he can eat in an airport. And I went there again to get the coffee. I didn't understand it the first time with the French fries. And two hours later, I didn't understand it with the goddamn coffee either. So I'm standing there. I'm in the big line. And then I see a, a subline, like a second line. And I'm like, well, I'm going to go stand in that line. That line looks way shorter. So I went and stood there and it was, it was just a line of people waiting for their food, like their number to be called. And I was like, oh, for fuck's sakes. And then this guy behind me is like, is this the line or is that the line? And he worked there. And I was like, I think, I think this isn't the line. I think that's the line. So we get in line and some gigantic black man comes from behind us, not in the line, walks right up to the till. And uh, we think he starts to order. And this huge white guy behind me is like, hey, there's a line here. We're in a line here. And he's like, there's two lines, bro. There's two lines. And he's like, no, there's one line, bro. And I was like, oh my God, are they going to fucking fight? Because they both worked for the airport. It was just the weirdest thing how men kind of like peacock like that. And I don't know who would have won, but it was really weird because then the black guy realized that that one till that what he was trying to go to was only cash and he had to pay with credit. So he gets back in line behind the big white guy that kind of was like wanting to fight him. It's like, great. Now you're right behind him. Is that not uncomfortable for you? I'm uncomfortable. And neither one of them gave an inch to the other guy. They were both just standing there. And then it went, when it was time to like wait for my drink and their food, they just stood beside each other and kind of like puffed up their chests and like, you know, fiddled with their crotches and stuff. They were both just standing beside each other like nothing had happened. I don't understand, men. You guys, you guys are weird. The way you handle things socially is just, it's kind of weird. I much prefer the fucked up, passive aggressive way that women handle confrontation which is to say they don't handle it. And then an hour later, behind your back, they tell a one-sided bullshit story of what happened. Hmm, whatever. All right, that, that's it. I'm going to save the rest of my segments for the next episode, whenever the fuck that's going to be. I just wanted to touch on this whole Ferguson thing. Um, it's pretty intense, what's going on down there. I have some audio uh, that was recorded by the protesters, of the protesters, and it's not for the faint of heart. If for whatever reason you're easily disturbed, I would definitely skip this part of the show. But I think the audio deserves to be heard. And I think it clarifies everything. Since we dropped the whole thing right now, they won't go ahead and flunk all of us. Can they do that? Listen, I know how important Donna Martin is to all 
of you, but Superintendent Ephart is serious about this. And I'd hate to see you throw your entire high school careers down the drain for this. Tell Superintendent Ephart that uh, summer school registration is going to break the record this year. Donna Martin graduates. 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 Donna Martin graduates.